Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America Prospect Handbook Podcast. J.J. Cooper and Ben Badler joining you here again this week, as we hope to do every week. And we wanted to remind you before we jump in, we're going to talk a lot of stuff. We're going to talk fantasy a little bit with uh, kind of the impressive starts of several rookie pitchers. We're going to talk about what the Marlins have done and, and what they're doing, uh, which is both puzzling and also kind of interesting if you like prospects, what they're doing, bringing a lot of guys up. We're going to talk about... Uh, uh, a top uh, July 2 prospect who has come out and admitted that he had uh, falsified his age and his identity. And we're also going to take your questions today. But before we do that, uh, I wanted to remind you that DraftDay.com is a new concept that offers short-term or daily fantasy sports games for real money. The concept is simple. You pick the day you want to play and set a fantasy lineup. If your picks perform well that day, you win. You can play for free or real money. And they award cold, hard cash nightly to top-performing players. They've already awarded over $10 million, and it's completely legal to play. DraftDay.com also has a new rapid-fire game that takes one minute to play, with huge payouts. Just pick between a few choices of players and choose the ones that will score the most points. It's that easy. All you need is three of five correct to double your money. DraftDay is offering a special offer to Baseball America listeners. So head over to DraftDay.com and enter promo code BAPODCAST. And they'll start you off with a free instant cash bonus. It's free to try, so head to DraftDay.com and use promo code BAPODCAST. Thanks again to our uh, sponsors there at DraftDay.com. Again, I'm JJ Cooper, joined here by Ben Battler. And Ben, before we get started, how how things going for you this week? Uh, a little busy with July 2's coverage kind of kicking off? Yeah, very busy. <laughs> very busy. Trying to stay on top of all of our pro coverage. And, and obviously, with the international signing period starting on July 2nd, uh, you know, we're, we're putting together our, our July 2nd reports. You're going to start seeing some of those uh, next week, uh, hopefully early in the week. And, oh, by the way, there might be an international draft next year, too, uh, which we'll find out by probably June 1st. So trying to track down some stuff on that, too. And also, as you probably have already seen at this point, one of the top prospects, you know, probably the most athletic or, or one of the two most athletic guys uh, in this year's class, and probably the fastest runner in this year's class, too. A uh, player who was known as Obispo Ibar uh, is now admitted uh, both to MLB and uh, and talked talk to me as well about uh, that he was using a, a false age and a false identity. So uh, it's it's this is definitely one of our busiest times of year, and uh, I'm not even involved in any of our draft coverage. <laughs> <laughs> You've got your own kind of draft to, to deal with. Uh, yeah, with Ibar, I... You know, this thing obviously happens a lot. Um, you know, it seems to happen at least once every year. Um, but but with Ibar, kind of what does that mean for the, the class in general? I mean, this this isn't like if this had not happened, you're talking about one of the guys who would have been probably one of the, the, the biggest targets in the July 2 period, is it not? Yeah, and the, the tricky thing was with him is that I remember when I went down to to the Dominican Republic in January and saw him. And, you know, this kid was, you know, where he was a man at the time, but he was presenting himself as a 15-year-old. And he's running 6'5", and the 60-yard dash, the the arm and the athleticism, the bat speed he's showing. It's just, it's very hard to believe <laughs> based on what he was doing. He, he wasn't dominating in a game, which, again, is concerning. Uh, but it's very hard to believe that a 15-year-old could have that kind of tools and that kind of athleticism and physical ability overall. And, and I think most teams 
regardless of what what MLB would have decided in terms of determining him, uh, you know, suspending him or determining him age undetermined or saying that he, he is the confirming his age, whatever they decided, I, I think most teams realized that this was probably not a 15 or, or at this point would have been a 16-year-old prospect. So that 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 always plays into a team's evaluation. No matter what MLB says, uh, MLB is not the ultimate determinant of what a player's age is. Uh, teams have to do their own homework and, and decide for themselves because MLB has uh, passed players before who have been using false ages. Uh, they've, I'm sure they're going to do it again this year. There's going to be guys they don't catch. Uh, they've had to fire investigators in the past uh, for taking bribes. So teams just teams have to go on their own information. Uh, but obviously <laughs> MLB now taking him off the market and suspending him uh, or technically declaring him in, ineligible to sign until April next year uh, is going to affect the market. You know, based on the numbers that I'm hearing for a lot of guys, this year, you know, he, he wasn't the number one guy this year, I, I don't think, but I think he certainly could have gotten at least a million dollars based on a lot of the numbers that I'm hearing out there for a lot of the second tier guys out there. Um, we'll, I, I'm not sure what his market is, is going to be now. We'll see how teams adjust and, and adapt to him being 19 or, or being 20, uh, you know, in November by the time he signs, assuming that story is is correct that he's telling now, which, you know, now that he's admitting to being three or, or almost four years older, I, I would believe that. It's not like he's coming out and saying, oh, I'm, I'm only a year older, or like right. uh, some other players have done. That's, you know, it gives you a little bit more suspicion. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to have a, an impact on uh, the market this year. But I, I think a lot of teams had already uh, – when they had identified him, they already realized, all right, this is probably a guy we're going to treat as somebody who's older. But nonetheless, you could still easily see a guy, a team, uh, you know, falling in love with the tools and, and giving them a million dollars, even so. Speaking of, you say he's not, he wasn't the number one guy. Is there a clear number one guy this year, or is it more kind of what we've seen in, you know, in most years, you see there, there's a couple of guys kind of battling for that that spot? Yeah, I think it depends what you what you like in a player, or what you look for as a scout. Um, the highest paid player is probably going to be uh, Eloy Jimenez, who's a, an outfielder from the Dominican Republic. Um, you know, he's got a lot of tools. He's very similar to Elia Hernandez, who the Royals signs. Uh, but you know, Elia Hernandez kind of had a, a a not very good debut. Although obviously he was in the Pioneer League, which was a pretty aggressive assignment. Um, so there's some guys who like him. There's, you know, a shortstop in Venezuela, Glaber Torres, who's a, a pretty solid all around player, um, with present ability. Uh, there's a couple of big bats in the Dominican Republic, uh, Rafael Devers, uh, Encarnacion, a third baseman. Um, you know, there's, there's a few other guys. There's some big power bats too, who, who swing and miss a lot. Uh, but yeah, the, I don't think there's like a clear cut number one guy. There's no dominant, dominant player like uh, Miguel Sano a few years ago, uh, who's probably the best hitting prospect I've ever written up uh, since I've been covering July 2nd. Um, and I don't think there's a dominant pitcher. Probably the best pitcher I've ever written up has been uh, Michael Noah. But you've you've seen how that's worked hey, out. Hey, this well. year, this year it's actually the uh, the most promising uh, season for Michael Noah I think we've had pretty much as a pro mainly because yeah. mainly he's been healthy for five straight weeks now. 
So well, yeah, well, he's pitching what three innings at a time now. So they're right. He is <laughs> he is running it up to ninety seven in those three or you know those three innings stints at least though. So at least we are seeing supposedly. I mean, I've haven't seen that in my own eyes, but I've heard people tell me that that he's up to ninety six, ninety seven. So yeah, that's that's much more encouraging than what we've been hearing in in, in past times about Noah. But again, it's it's like you right now the understandably they're treating him like he's uh, made of. Uh, of uh, you know, uh, of porcelain because up to now his arm has kind of been made of porcelain. So we'll see how long that kind of lasts. But kind of jumping subjects to, you know, we wanted to talk a little bit today, you know, a little bit of fancy component, just how good some of the rookie pitchers have been. And and Ben, you've seen it this year. It's not just that we've had one solid, you know, rookie starter. It's not just we've had two. We've had we've had a number of solid rookie starters, and. That's kind of on top of the fact that that Matt Harvey, who is not a rookie but wasn't a rookie long ago, has gone out and, and turned into right away, you know, pretty quickly one of the best pitchers in in baseball overall. What has stood out to you about kind of the the young arms we've seen uh, in starting rotations in the big leagues this year? Yeah, well, the one guy I think we we, we talk about is is Jose Fernandez as the one guy who we didn't expect to be <laughs> in the big leagues already. Um, he, he has been very impressive to me. He's looked like he's, he has the stuff. I mean, you can put right now, I, I wouldn't call him a frontline starter, but he's good enough to pitch in the big leagues. You can see a lot of the, the mistakes that he's making just based on lack of experience that he has, mm-hmm. but the fastball that he has is, I mean, he's running it up to 98 miles an hour at times, he's not sitting there, it's, but it's still pretty consistently in the mid nineties. He's got a really good breaking ball, and that changeup too. I think is going to be. I think it's already flashing. Plus, the command isn't there yet, and, and the consistency of the changeup every time out is not there. But his pure. St- I mean, that's number one starter stuff. I mean, I, I don't really have many concerns about him. Uh, you know, it's not the most athletic body type. Maybe. No. <laughs> I don't really care about that, especially how young he is. I, I don't see that being an issue. Um, you know, the guy who hasn't surprised, you know, I think th- that's him being in the big leagues at all. has surprised me. Uh, the, the one guy who's, who stood out to me is, you know, scouts have been pretty on the mark <laughs> about this guy is uh, Hyunjin Ryu with the Dodgers. Just a really good, uh, really good fastball command. Uh, his changeup plays off of it really well. Uh, you know, the, the guys who liked him the most thought he was going to be a very solid number three starter. I think his numbers have been better than a, a number three starter so far, but I think he's going to settle into being a very solid uh, middle of the rotation starter. He, he's a guy who, if you just look at the, if, if you look at his stuff on paper, it doesn't add up to everything that it ends up being, you know, in a game. Because not that his stuff's, you know, it's not something where he's sitting there throwing 86, 88 and just fooling guys. But but his stuff is number three, number four starter stuff. And I, I do agree with you. I think he may, you know, kind of revert a little bit back. To, you know, I think he's been about as good as he's going to be up to now. But his feel for pitching, his you know, his, his ability to locate, all that adds up to him being a little better than what maybe you would look if you just looked at his fastball velocity and, and looked at kind of, his, his secondary pitches as far as, okay, well, that's not a 70, that kind of thing. He's better than that. And and I think that really is because uh, this is a guy, it's one of the things we've seen with a lot of pitchers coming over from, uh, from Asia in recent years. It's just, 
they're, they're ready. <laughs> I mean, it's a big difference when you're talking about comparing to a guy like him and comparing to a guy like Jose Fernandez. Yeah, when you watch a when I watch a Jose Fernandez start right now, there are times where I'm like, how is he getting hit? But then you remind yourself, well, he's getting hit because he hasn't learned how to do some of these things yet. He's missing spots and all. He, he's basically because the reality is, is he probably should be in Double A right now, and his stuff's so good that he can survive despite that. But it, there are going to be. It, it seems like with Fernandez right now, a lot of starts there's that mistake or those two mistakes or those three mistakes he makes that, you know. You look at him and say, okay, a couple of years from now, he probably won't be making those mistakes. And and once he doesn't, man, there's a reason he was a there's a reason he was a top ten prospect coming into the season. I'll put it that way. And yeah, and and you talked about Matt Harvey too. He he's not technically a rookie right now, but man, it's it's I think they're both potentially number one starters. I mean, Harvey might even be one this year. Uh, you know, for for this year, yeah, I would take Harvey. Long term, I, I'm more inclined to go with Fernandez. I, I think Fernandez's uh, changeup is, and and actually Harvey's developed a, a better changeup uh, than he's ever had in the past. It's 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 firm. It comes in with a little less separation, I think, than uh, Fernandez's changeup. But it's it's an effective pitch. I've seen him get swings and misses against right-handed hitters with it. Uh, but I, I still think that there's a little bit more upside uh, long term. With for with Fernandez, I don't think it's a big gap by any means. Um, now of, of those two guys, which which of them do you like better? Ah, man, I'm always inclined. I, I part of me says Harvey, and the reason I say that is is that he's pitching at a level that's very hard to reach for you know even for a month, and he's pit, the way he's pitched for the past month, it's hard to pitch that way. That doesn't mean other guys can't because I mean, it Palma Holm had a good three, four weeks. But when I see a guy doing that, it's always, there's a part of me inclined to say, I'm going to stick with the guy who's already doing it versus the guy that I want to, you know, that we think can do it. And right. And right now, if you said you know, who in the national league, which name me three pitchers you'd rather have in the national league for the rest of the year than, than Matt Harvey. Can you come up with three? Cause I don't know if I can. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'd think rather have Kershaw. I'd rather have Kershaw, absolutely. Um, I'd still go with Strasburg. I know <laughs> the the sky is apparently falling with him, but yeah, I, I don't think I, the, yeah, I don't <laughs> think the sky is falling with him. Yeah. but at the same time, I'd probably go with Harvey over Strasburg right now, just because the reality is is that almost with anyone, if there's some expectation Matt Harvey can't pitch like this all year. If he does, we're we're talking basically he's you know. He's the best pitcher in baseball, but but the reality is is that with Strasburg, I'm if I'm taking him, I'm saying well I think that he can pitch come close to what Matt Harvey's done already this year because what Matt Harvey's doing is I mean it's insane how good it's been. It's he's been completely and totally dominant. When you said like he could be a one, oh yeah, and I think he could be a one. I mean, you know, people get hung up on. And a lot of times they'll say to us, you know, well, what do you mean that guy's not a one? That guy's not a one. Matt Harvey's showing when you say what's a one, he's showing a lot of it right now. And, you know, it's a nebulous concept of whether he's a true number one or not. But, but yeah, it's he's been a, a, a truly dominant pitcher this year. Um, one guy, one of the rookies we haven't mentioned, which, again, it's been a really good year for rookie pitchers in the National League especially, it seems like, is Shelby Miller. 
and yeah, I just look at the Cardinals and think, wow, they're they're <laughs> talk about an organization that knows how to develop pitching. I know we say that about the Rays a lot, but you, you got to throw the Cardinals in that group too, don't you? I think they're they're absolutely in there. I mean, they might have better pitching than the Rays right now. <laughs> um, well, I'll put it this way: if they had injuries, I could think of like we talk about the Dodgers. The Dodgers are on their ninth starting pitcher of the year, I think. You talk about the Blue Jays, who are desperate for starting pitching right now. I think if the Cardinals needed to, they could almost completely change over their rotation, and they have guys who you could credibly put out there as starting pitchers. Oh, you just go into their bullpen and bring guys who are <laughs> pretty close to big league starting caliber right now. If, if you know, if not immediately. Yeah, it's not going crazy to say, okay, if you had to, if calamity happened, and you said, okay, well, we got to move Rosenthal, we got to move Joe Kelly, we got to move Carlos Martinez, and we got to move Michael Waka all to the uh, rotation. That that would all all of those guys are very credible starting pitching candidates. That's. I don't. I can't think of another team that can that you can talk about that could do that, and that's not no. The, the Rays don't even. I mean, the, they have Chris Archer, they have Odorizzi, but you know, I think Archer's Torres. And, yeah, Torres, Colome. Uh, I feel you know I'd they, they have guys, but I, I'd feel more comfortable with uh, the second wave of of Cardinals guys right now. And that that led to something we did want to talk about is Carlos Martinez came up uh, very recently, coming up into the Cardinals pen. Um, he, he, you know, short, uh, six foot, basically right hander who throws up to a hundred. At the same time, Jordana Ventura, short, about six foot right hander, throws about, you know, can get a fastball up to a hundred, has been very dominant his last couple starts at Double A Northwest Arkansas for the Royals. Struck out ten in each of his last two starts. We want to talk a little bit about them because those are interesting. We got a Twitter question. Uh, let me find who I, I want to credit who the uh, the person who asked it. I'll ask the question to you, and then we'll go back and I'll, I'll find the person who asked it. But comparing Carlos Martinez, Jordana Ventura, I guess I'll start with who do you like better, and do you see some similarities? Ventura's right now still being groomed as a starter. Martinez is now working in the bullpen. Which you know, which short term and which long term do you think uh, you know has got a, a brighter future, or, or do you see a lot of very much similarities between the two of them? Yeah, I, I do think they're they're pretty similar. If uh, the the different one of the differences for me is that I think Martinez has more life on his fastball. Um, you know, velocity in terms of the pure velocity. Um, yeah, it, it's I think Ventura has been up to what 102. I think it's been, and he's he's pretty comfortably in the mid 90s. Uh, out of the bullpen, you could you could easily sit in the high 90s. Um, and and the same with Martinez, but. Uh, the natural life that <laughs> and sink that Martinez has on his fastball uh, is is pretty incredible. Uh, you know, Ventura can miss plenty of bats um, with his stuff, but Martinez, you're either gonna sw- if you swing, you're, you're probably either gonna swing and miss, or you're gonna hit the ball on the ground. Uh, that's one thing that I really like about him. Uh, but yeah, you're right. There, there's a lot of similarities uh, between those two. Um, I. <laughs> I'm not. I understand the Cardinals' desire to have him in the big leagues right now and helping uh, them in the bullpen. I, I am. I'm not crazy about the idea of 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 it possibly shortchanging Martinez's development. Uh, I, I think he still has things to work on with his uh, secondary pitches in terms of refining. The consistency of those pitches because they flash and, and and they're there, 
you know, he could have two above average secondary pitches, I think, but they're not consistent right now. And you put him in the bullpen and you have that fastball that he's throwing. Um, that's the pitch he's going to have the most confidence in. And I'm afraid he's going to lean a little bit too much on that pitch at the expense of his other pitches. So, you know, I'd like to see him, especially given some of the time that he's missed. Uh, I'd like to see him have a full season workload as a, as a starting pitcher. I'm not crazy about him being moved up. I, I, kind of, I like what the Royals have done with Ventura, uh, bringing him along and, and keeping him as a starter. Um, I know there's a lot of temptation to rush some of these guys to the bullpen sometimes, uh, given some of the attributes that they have, but uh, I, I, I'd much rather see Martinez still in the minor leagues and, and developing as a starting pitcher. No, it, it, it is. It, it, I, I think I tweeted out when Martinez came up. I do wonder and I do kind of worry that this means that we've seen the last of Carlos Martinez as a starter, whether they plan it that way right now or not. But the reality of it is, is that I think he's going to come up and with his fastball, he's got enough stuff that he may be a very good reliever this year in the big leagues, which does not necessarily mean that he's ready to be a starter in the big leagues. And so the problem is, is that, okay, now let's say you roll into 2014 and they're going to probably have one opening in that rotation. And so, okay, he will be battling at the uh, start of the season, barring injury. He'll be battling for that that one spot, and he'll be battling, you know, we just mentioned a lot of the guys. Trevor Rosenthal, maybe. Joe Kelly, maybe. Michael Waka, who's right now continuing to be, you know, to refine his stuff as a starter in AAA. And I think there's going to be a very strong temptation to say, well, he's not really ready to help us as a starter right now. The, the secondary stuff's good, but it's not as consistent as we would want as a starter. You know, he's not going to be lengthened out innings-wise. He only threw 70 innings last year, so we really don't feel comfortable having him start, you know, every fifth day for a full season. And, and there's going to be a lot of reasons to say, but he could be he could be our eighth-inning guy this year or he could close this year for us. And, and you turn around a couple of years from now, and, and he's just he's been a reliever because that's the role that, that they kind of needed him to fill. And and I do think in, with him that that's you have a chance of, of not kind of fully developing everything that's there. Uh, the, the the advantage that Jordana Ventura has there is is that the Royals long term need him to be a starter, uh, and that's the difference between what they what they're looking at and what you know the, the Cardinals with Martinez. Michael Walker gives the the Cardinals a very good other option as far as the next pitcher next starting pitcher up if they need to. With the with the Royals, I know they've got Danny Duffy coming off of TJ and they've got uh, Felipe Paulino coming off TJ at some point, but as far as starting pitchers in the minors right now who are healthy, Kyle Zimmer, you know, is behind Jordana Ventura on which guy would be ready to come up and help. And because he's getting to start, you know, every fifth day, you are seeing with Mar- with uh, Ventura that it's not just the fastball has always been there, but you're seeing he's developing a little bit more consistency with the breaking ball, especially the changeup's okay. You know, it's not a, it's not a, I don't think that's ever going to be a, a really a dominant pitch for him. But the breaking ball, he's, he's locating it now. I, I, I watched his uh, last start on MILB TV, and of the 10 strikeouts he had, eight of them, strike three, came on the breaking ball, which I don't think it's one of, like a, we're not talking about a dominant breaking ball, dominant curveball necessarily. But if you're locating a high 90s fastball, you don't have to have a dominant curveball. If you have one that has some, has some movement to it, has some shape, and you can throw it for strikes, and you can throw it out of the zone. If you can do those two things, you can lock a lot of guys up. So with him, we're, we're seeing that. 
but I, it is, it's a, it's a bigger picture thing also. Like if you look right now and said, how many dominant or, or front end of the rotation Latin starters do we see in the big leagues? After you get past Johnny Cueto, uh, I guess, you know, who else comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, if, if we're just talking about the Dominican Republic, you're right. I think teams have, a, they just have a tendency to look at sometimes take Dominican pitchers and, and put them into the bullpen too, too frequently and, and too quickly. And, you know, you know, maybe Carlos Martinez, I think eventually, or I hope eventually he'll, he'll come back into a starter's role. Um, but I think a lot of times, and it's for it's for a lot of reasons. A lot of times, Dominican pitchers end up in the bullpen at a rate that that's higher than than it should be. Um, it it could be for a lot of reasons. You know, uh, one, you're signing players in Latin America at 16 years old, so you've got to put them on your 40 man. If you do that, you've got to put them on your 40 man roster at a very young age. I mean, look at what the A's. Michael Noah is already on the A's 40 man roster. He's done nothing. <laughs> so at some point, let's say Anoa does develop all, over the next few years. He'll be out of options before he's ready. You're, exactly. You're going to run out of options. You're going to say, well, he's not – are we going to run him out there as a starter every day now and have him put up a 6 ERA or – I mean, or do we, are we going to risk losing him because we think, we think there's still potential – down the road, I think a lot of that's that's an issue uh, for a lot of teams too. I think that uh, you know, co- just language, right. the language barrier is an issue too. If you know, you might have the greatest pitching coaches and the greatest pitching coordinators in the world. Uh, you know, if, if the message can't be communicated to them about how to, you know, especially it's it's not like you're just saying, hey. Uh, well, you're not you're not talking about ordering food or, or something very basic. Uh, you're talking about very subtle adjustments that a player needs to make to his grip with, or with his mechanics, things like that. Um, if you can't properly transmit that message to a player because of a language barrier, um, I think that's going to present an issue too in terms of how these players are developed. And and the other thing is too is you know there's a lot of Dominican pitchers who just throw really really hard well that's <laughs> um, just how that's how you get signed right and, and or, or or even in a guy like ventura who threw you know in the mid 80s and signed for like 28 grand mm-hmm. um he's you know he's he's five foot 11 he throws or maybe five foot 11 mm-hmm. <laughs> and he throws up to 100 miles an hour uh you know cueto's you know cueto's cueto's as a starter now but he's another you know shorter uh you know, compared to a lot of other guys, right-handed pitcher. Carlos Martinez is not that big. Uh, you have a lot of pitchers who are not that big who throw really hard. And I think there's a lot of times there's a temptation to say, oh, power arm, put him in the back of the bullpen, rather than, all right, well, let's let's give this guy a little bit more time rather than rushing into the bullpen and allow him to develop his secondary pitches, allow him to develop his command a little bit more. And I think a lot of the time these guys get rushed into the bullpen because you want that power arm in the bullpen. But ideally, you'd rather have them go 600 innings, or excuse me, not 600 innings, 200 innings, and have them, instead of throwing 96 every pitch, maybe have them throw 92, 93, uh, and have them with a little bit more command and, and control and hopefully a little bit 
better off-speed stuff development uh, from their time developing a little bit longer as a starting pitcher. I know he's an outlier, but I can't help but think of, I mean, Pedro Martinez was was traded straight up for Delano to Shields because really a lot, a lot of what you're talking about with a lot of these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at his frame. You know, we don't know if it's, you know, he's going to be able to hold up as a starter. So there's a lot of concern there. Okay, maybe he's just going to be a reliever. And, you know, obviously he was more than that. But I think another thing that kind of works in with this is is that it is amazing how many, uh, especially Dominican pitchers, as they come to the States, what the scouting report on them is really good fastball, pretty solid changeup. The breaking ball is the third pitch. It's the furthest behind, which I, I do think a lot of what you just talked about, that even adds more to that incentive to kind of, you know, to, to speed guy, especially when you say you're talking about guys who at age 20, 21, are having to be put on the 40 man. It then becomes really easy instead of saying, we're going to wait and see how that, you know, how that third pitch develops. Well, he's got enough stuff to, to pitch in the bullpen right now. I, it, it is one of those things that if you set a rule that seems fair to change at some point, that doesn't mean it's ever going to change. But it does seem that it is unfair. If you compare right now, and I wish we had Matt Eddy on this podcast, but I think that you can verify this because I know you've talked to Matt about this in the past. Matt Eddy's mm-hmm. our, our rules and procedures expert uh, here at Baseball America. But, okay, if you're a college, if you're a college uh, draftee, you get one less year. Before you before you go on the forty man, than you are if you are a uh, uh, a high school draftee. The high school draftees and the Latin draftees, it's the same timetable, correct? Yeah, I think I believe that's correct. Yeah, you, you do have to put you have to put them on the roster. Basically, if you're signing at sixteen, um, yeah, you are you're putting them. You have to put them on the forty man roster sooner than you would a high school player. So you know, one, you could raise the signing age. Um, that would be one thing. Or two, you could give teams an extra, an extra year. year before putting on the 40-man roster. You know, whether that benefits the player or not, you could debate. You know, yeah, it gets on the 40-man roster. There's obviously benefits to that. Uh, but long-term, I, I think it helps them out more. Look, by, look, I was going to say, even look in the Rule 5 draft, what we saw last year. Uh, Starling Peralta, <laughs> he had, you know, he was unprotected on the 40 man because he's in a ball throws really hard. Now, I mean, he got picked in the rule five draft. He didn't stick, but you know, that guy, if you look in the rule five draft almost every year, if you said, who are the top arms available? It's always Latin guys because Mm -hmm. it's always guys. If you're a college arm, by the time you are available in the rule five draft, we know what you are. Uh, It's just the simple fact of it. Because when you're talking about, if you were drafted out of college, by the time you were eligible for that first time to go on the 40-man, you're usually 24 years old or so. You know what you are most of the time for a 24-year-old pitcher. When you're talking about a 20-year-old, 21-year-old Latin pitcher, that's an entirely different story. And especially if you had, you know, you had a year where you kind of your development got a little bit off track for whatever reason. Uh, it, it's just to me, it, it does jump out as is that's kind of a, an unfortunate. The, the way the rule is right now. I did want to also say thank you to, to Dwight Griffin, who's uh, dgriffin57 on Twitter for for that question. Hey ben, do you mind if we kind of jump into some of these other questions? We got a yeah pretty good uh, pretty good group of questions here. So 
one of the first I wanted to ask you here, because this is again in in especially in your expertise here, we've got a question here about from Raisin Man 101, which is uh, Naveen Dore, I believe is how names pronounced, asking, uh, would love to get your thoughts on Juan Paniagua's visa situation and how you think this saga will conclude. If you fill people in on on kind of the background of that and tell us what. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, uh, the abridged story is that Paniagua signed up with the Diamondbacks under a different name. Uh, wow, like four years ago? Yeah, it's, it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, and he signed, it was like $17,000 contract. Um, he actually pitched for the Diamondbacks in their DSL team for about a year and then part of the next year because uh, he used to be allowed to s- – pitch in the DSL while your contract was still pending. Uh, you can't actually do that anymore. They changed that rule. But he his contract got terminated uh, for false paperwork. He ended up uh, hooking on with some, some new trainers, and they got his fastball up to about 98 miles an hour. And then he, bang, he signs with the, the Yankees for $1.1 million. MLB says, again, you're using false documents, suspends him, that contract is, uh, you know, thrown out, and then he improves again because <laughs> his slider starts getting better, and now he's, you know, touching triple digits last year after he signed, which he signed last year in July, with the Cubs for 1.5 million. Uh, MLB says they have basically in their investigation system they either say your age is is confirmed or or you're not who you say you are when. Or they say it's age undetermined, which is a very wishy-washy way. We wash our hands of it. Yeah, they're saying uh, they're they're basically saying the team as you know, it's up to the team to determine if they want to continue with the contract or say, oh, there's something weird here. We want to get out of it. The team almost never gets out of it. Um, It's it's a very shady way of <laughs> ruling a, a player's age. It's, you know, they, they did the same thing with Jairo Barris. Uh, they do the same thing with a lot of players, uh, DePaula, a whole bunch of other guys. Um, so now, so De, obviously Paniagua came and, and pitched a little bit in the States last year, but now he's having visa issues coming back into the States this year, which was the same problem with Carlos Martinez but he was able to, I guess, get his paperwork all in order, and the U.S. consulate approved it. Um, you know, every few years, basically, the, the the U.S. consulates around the world rotate their personnel. Uh, they're not like baseball guys, so they're not. A lot of times, there's they're, they basically have access to the MLB investigations that they've done in the past, and they're probably picking up. Paniagua's investigation and they're saying well this looks ridiculous we're not gonna <laughs> let him into our country it's it sounds like he might be uh presenting false documents here about his his identity even though he's never changed his age from in any of the contracts that he signed <laughs> um so they're asking it sounds like they're asking Paniagua's siblings uh for more paperwork they're asking for just more documentation to prove who he says he is um, I thought he probably would have been in the country at this point. It's really hard to put a timetable on it because it's you know this is the this is the government. <laughs> um, you just you don't know what's happening. Obviously, the team is there; they're helping him out. Uh, they're trying to get it done, but it's not like something that they can just sort of 
push through and right and expedite you know legally obviously um so it, it's it's hard to put a timetable on I, I thought he would have been in you know on a full season team at this point he's he is a, he's using a 1990 birthday so we know he's at least 23 um I don't know I, th- I think the stuff is eventually going to translate so I'm not worried about the age but at some point you do have to get him obviously into the minor league system and have him facing guys who are, uh, you know, at least a ball hitters just to see where, you know, you have a, have a better gauge of, of where he's at rather than just having him in your Dominican Academy and, and thrown against those guys. <laughs> Cause that's not, you know, he can still develop there, but it's, it's much better off. Obviously if you can bring him to the States and have him on a minor league team. It, yeah, you you don't want to see him doing what uh, what DePaula did for the Yankees last year, which is basically, oh, okay, he's dominating guys, but it really doesn't tell you anything, and it doesn't help him a whole lot either. No. Um, but well, thanks for that question. And now I got a question. We got a question from Brad Henry, B Henry O five on Twitter, asking. Uh, he, he's wondering about the uh, the Jays having their AAA team in Buffalo versus Las Vegas. How that affects how they develop their players, especially pitchers. Uh, it, to me, it it's it affects them both on the pitching side and the uh, the hitting side. I think it's actually as helpful for them as far as getting better reads on the hitters as it does the pitchers. Because I remember last year with Adiani uh, Echeverria struggled to hit for them, goes to Las Vegas, hits really well. That doesn't tell you anything it, because everyone hits well in Las Vegas, and it is also obviously a detriment for the pitchers because. You go if you have a. It's very easy to have an awful outing on a outing where you pitched okay, when you pitch in Las Vegas or you pitch in Reno and you pitch in several of those uh, West Coast uh, PCL parks. It, to me, it's if you can stay out of Las Vegas and stay out of Reno, stay out of Colorado Springs. Although in Colorado Springs case, if you're going to be the Rockies, you're going to pitch in Coors Field anyway. That's mm-hmm. a little less of a problem. But as a as a team, that is something you definitely want to avoid when you're when the affiliation shuffle happens every two years. What do you think? Yeah, we, yeah, we've seen teams in the past when they've had those extreme high offensive environment triple A parks just skip their guys over triple A, which is like, well, what's the point <laughs> of having this as a, a developmental team when you're not even going to use it for a lot of your pitchers? And I think. Yeah, I think like we talked about it a little bit. I think on the last podcast, I think AAA is a little bit underrated in terms of uh, what it can do for a guy's development. But uh, yeah, I think anytime you can have a more neutral park, like you said, Colorado, that's a, a little bit of a different situation, especially the way it used to be. Uh, but even still now, to to have that level, to have guys pitch at, at that kind of environment before they go up to you know having to pitch in Coors Field, I, I think that's a good thing for pretty much everybody else. It's it's much better mentally. I mean, like you said, you can have a pitcher. You, you give up four or five runs in an outing, and you just mess with your mind. You didn't really do anything wrong. If if the winds or or the altitude, the other things that make the those parks so hitter friendly, you know, if it's not for that, which most parks aren't like that in the major leagues, um, you you know maybe you would have pitched fine. And like you said too, it's it's also better for the teams to get a better read. Uh, on their players so i think anytime you can move out of one of those extreme offensive environment parks into a more neutral environment or more just something closer to neutral i think that's always going to be more beneficial from a a development standpoint i don't think it makes a huge difference but it's it's one of those small things that i think you know given the option between the two it's it's better to have more of a 
a neutral park, both for the hitters, like you said, and for the pitchers. Uh, I, another team that jumps out to me is is you look at the uh, the Diamondbacks, who they're they're in Reno, which Reno is truly a uh, a, a a nightmare to pitch in, especially. Yeah, season. Albuquerque is the same way. It's it's. I mean, every year we see somebody from Albuquerque is in the well, minor league home run leaders. So Tyler Skaggs this year, one of the better prospects, obviously uh, pitching prospects in the game. If you look mm-hmm. at his year, you say, okay, well, what's wrong with Tyler Skaggs? Because Tyler Skaggs right now is two and four, six point eight nine ERA in six starts, thirty five hits allowed in thirty one innings, fourteen walks, thirty two Ks. Well, really, what's happened is, is you know, he pitches in uh, in in Reno. So, in Reno, at Reno, he's got a ten point two nine ERA with uh, twenty three hits allowed in fourteen innings. Now, it's not that he's been great on the road this year, but on the road, seventeen innings, four point one five ERA. Which again, he's pitching in the West portion of the Pacific Coast League, so it's not like he's pitching in pitcher parks there. Uh, you know, twelve hits allowed in seventeen innings, eight walks, seventeen Ks. Really, the big problem is, is he pitches in Reno, and in Reno you can pitch pretty well, and and your numbers will look awful coming out of it. But I, I did want to touch on you. You brought up an interesting point. You said, you know, that we did talk about a little last week about how we, you know, we think that AAA there is some value to playing AAA baseball. Clearly, one team that does not think that way, or because of circumstances, willing to kind of overlook that, is the uh, the Marlins, who pretty much are, are skipping all their prospects right on by the uh, you know AAA and, and jumping. We've seen Marcelo Zuna, we've seen Jose Fernandez, and now we've seen Derek Dietrich kind of jump right on up to uh, to the big leagues. I, I guess, <laughs> I, I, what do you think? You know, Dietrich is the latest one. I guess, do you think Yelich is Christian Yelich is, is soon to follow, or, or what do you think about kind of the Marlins? Kind of, hey, every you know, we're just going to make this a prospect team. What do you think? Yeah, of the I, I don't know. I don't know if they'd want to put Yelich because I don't think he's on the forty man roster yet. So That's I'm not true. sure they'd want to jump him on there, but. I mean, if you ask me who's more ready now to play in the big leagues, I, I understand, all right, so Stan was out, so you want to bring up Ozuna, somebody who can play right field. Um, so he'd also have an edge, not just because of the 40-man stuff, but uh, he'd have an edge in that right, maybe over Yelich. But just and, as and a, then Dietrich as came a, up because Valaika got hurt, so there right. was another reason. So, But if you, but if you ask me between Yelich and Ozuna, who's more ready now to hit major league pitching? I would I would say Yelich. I don't he doesn't have Ozuna's power and Ozuna's been off to a good start. That's you know surprising to me. I, I don't know if he's going to maintain it but um you know he's he's done well so far. But I think if you ask me who's going to hit better over the rest of the season if if you put them both in the big leagues right now, uh I like Yelich more. I I think he's he's got a better swing. I think he's got a better approach to hitting. I think he can handle off-speed pitches better than Ozuna can. And he's he's not going to chase as much out of the strike zone as as Ozuna does. So, uh, you know, long term, I, I like Ozuna as a prospect, but right now, I think I don't think we're going to see Yelich in the big leagues. But I, I don't know. It's it's the Marlins. You can just throw that out. Maybe it's <laughs> maybe they will bring up. I, I don't know. By, by the way, Derek Dietrich uh, is to me uh, another guy kind of worth kind of keep an eye on. It, you know, again, if you're in a fantasy league. He's not a, a very a top, you know, as far as the most prominent prospects out there. Sometimes working at BA, it's hard to kind of judge what is considered an under-the-radar prospect. We got a couple questions this week, like, asking, you know, well, what about an under-radar, you know, prospect? And I am and I see the prospect, and I'm like, that's not an under-the-radar prospect. That guy's number, you know, five in this system or whatever. But Yeah, I mean, we write up how many guys? 900 and something. International. You know? it's, 
our, our perspective of what's under the radar right. is very skewed, I think. <laughs> but he was the Marlins' number 12 prospect coming into the season. A former Ray, uh, you know, was traded uh, to, the, uh, to the Marlins last year. I do think he's an interesting guy from the standpoint of he he's going to play second base, you know, and he's got some pop. And I do think as far as the guys we're talking about here, he is more ready than than really probably uh, definitely than Ozuna and maybe even than Yelich in that he's a college guy who has already had at least 50 games of double-A baseball under his belt. I mean, it doesn't sound like a whole lot, but hey, 200 at-bats in double-A right now for the Marlins means that you are uh, – uh, an experienced vet when you hit the big leagues. Um, the, the funny thing about this, though, is is that if you look at the two awful teams in the big leagues non-Angels category, because that's a whole different story, but you look at the Marlins, you look at the Astros, the Marlins, I, I don't know if they necessarily agree with the way they're doing this, but they are a way more interesting team to watch right now than the uh, than the Astros are. The Astros are also making moves, but the difference is is when the Marlins are making moves, they're bringing up Marcelo Zuna, they're bringing up Derek Dietrich, they're put Jose Fernandez in the rotation, and the Astros are making moves, and they're getting rid of Ricky Ankiel and all, they're bringing up back up J.D. Martinez and Jimmy Paredes, and it's a whole lot of guys who I don't see a whole lot of guys that the Astros have brought up that you say, okay, that guy's going to be playing for them when they're good. Yeah, there's not, I mean, every five days, I, I want to watch the Marlins just because of Jose Fernandez. I mean, that's <laughs> that alone is enough to make me want to watch, but Ozuna's there now. You're right, they do have, <laughs> it's not a must-win, or excuse me, it's not a must-watch team, no. obviously. But, yeah, I mean, there's not much interesting players to watch on the Astros. And they do have a, I like their farm system, but the guys who I think they hope are going to contribute to their next playoff team in Houston uh, are not on that or not on their major league roster. I mean, Altuve, yeah, I like Altuve. Um, they got a couple of guys, but I mean, Matt Dominguez, he can field. I don't know that he's really going to hit much long term. Um, they have a lot of young hitters who swing and miss way too much. <laughs> A lot of old hitters who swing and miss way too much now. You know, obviously they're getting some of them, but um, yeah, I mean, it's if I'd, I'd much rather watch the Marlins on a start when Jose Fernandez is on the mound rather than pretty much any Astros team in terms of seeing you know young talent or, or guys who could be part of their next playoff team. Okay, two more questions before we wrap this up for the day. We got uh, Calypso fishing, which uh, and asking about. I'm going to talk about two pop up prospects and. Pop up again. It's hard for us to have that really that judgment on how much of a pop up prospect a guy is when when we've read about him or written about him in the uh, prospect handbook. Guy that you wrote about, Danny Salazar, number five on the Indians list coming into the season. Can you talk about uh, Danny Salazar has been under the radar dominant so far and, and now promoted to AAA. And Bobby O thirty three, which is Bob O'Neill, uh, asked our, for our thoughts on Burt Smith, who I think he was number twenty two in the Padres organization coming into the season. So. I would kind of characterize him a little bit more as a pop-up prospect in that if you're re-ranking the Padres system right now, he's going to rank a good bit higher than that. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But, I, you know, start off with the kind of – I was going to ask you about Salazar. Salazar, you know, you do the Indians uh, list, number five in the system coming in. Really dominant uh, start to the season in, in AA Akron. Just got the call up to uh, 
the triple A, I guess probably more important than that, you know, than just the results. And he was four and oh, one point eight five in, in Akron with twenty three Ks, eight walks and thirty four innings. You know, also fastballs up there, you know, as it as has been in the past in the uh you know, mid to high nineties. And he's also got a uh a, you know, a, a really good change up. I, I guess I'm sorry, I, I that was his Akron numbers from last year. He's actually two and three, two point six seven this year, but with fifty one Ks and ten walks in thirty three innings. So I sorry, I got my little stats there wrong. What is it that's made him? I guess what were the concerns coming into the year with Salazar? Can we talk about a guy with a fastball like that and a uh, you know a changeup? That's a pretty good combo. But but obviously there's still some concerns. What what kind of is the the things to watch with with Salazar? Well, coming into the year or coming into last year, yeah, last year he was at, he was definitely a pop up guy. I mean, he was signed. I think in like 2006, 2007 was his debut. And, you know, he was all right. He kind of went around the low minors a little bit, had a little bit of success. But stuff-wise, you know, nothing really jumped out for you. Uh, then he had Tommy John surgery. And I think the most innings he's ever thrown in a season is like a little over 100. So there's 107 some dirt- in 2009. Yeah. So there's some durability questions with him, uh, given that you know he's been in pro ball for I think five or six years. Hasn't you know he, you need you need to see a guy be able to throw at least you know 150 plus innings uh, to hold up as a starter. He does have that arm surgery history, so that that's a concern. But but yeah, last year his fastball just jumped up. I think he touched 100 miles an hour last year. Like you said, pretty consistently the the mid to high 90s. Uh, I, now it's just, you know, the continued maturation of <laughs> as a pitcher with his new velocity. And that's why you're seeing so many strikeouts. I think we had him number two on the hot sheet last mm-hmm. week. Uh, he's just had some dominant, dominant starts in Akron. Um, so, yeah, maybe he's I don't, I don't know if he's flying uh, under the radar because you know, I think we've we've talked about him, uh, you know, quite a bit on on B.A. lately. But. Yeah, I mean, over the last year and a half or so, this guy's really raised his stock as much as anyone, and in an organization that badly needs it uh, for for a team that really hasn't developed uh, a starting pitching prospect and that they've retained in a long, long time. I mean, they have Trevor Bauer. I, I mean, I pretty clearly put Bauer ahead of Salazar. Still, I, I like the stuff that uh, Bauer's shown. Uh, over over, the, over his last few starts, even if his control is is all over the place, but um, this is not an organization that has much pitching at the major league level uh, or at the minor league level either. But the emergence of Salazar, uh, especially as a guy who they've uh, you know signed as an amateur, be it through the draft or the international market, like they did it with Salazar, and then developed him uh, through their farm system and and. I think pretty soon we'll be able to contribute uh, in Cleveland. That's that's not something that they've been able to do. Uh, so I, his emergence has been one of the best stories of the year for 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 that organization at the minor league level. And by the way, we could have kind of lumped him into that conversation we were having. We were talking about Ventura when we were talking about uh, Carlos Martinez. Salazar is another six foot right handed Dominican with a fastball that'll touch a hundred. <laughs> right. And, but the difference with Sal, like, so you're right though, with Salazar, the thing is with him, he's had that, he has that history of the, the arm surgery right. and there, so you have the years of questions of durability. I you know Martinez has had an injury too, but with, you know, Ventura, 
Um, and I, I think even still with Martinez, he's never been been cut on. Um, there's I, I can I understand and I have that concern with Salazar, more so just about durability uh, because of the injury history with him. But with the other two guys, I mean, we get questions all the time, or and I see you answering them too. You know, is your is your Dono Ventura a future reliever? And it's I just I don't see why those guys have to move to the pen. With Salazar, you know, you do have that durability question because of the, the medical history. But uh, with the other guys, I just I, I'd love to see him start. I'd love to see Salazar continue to start, too. I don't see any reason to move him yet. No. Uh, but it is a it's more for me. It's more of a concern with Salazar than with uh, Ventura right. or, or Matias. Well, or, that's or what I get. I get questions. It's funny, but, you know, along these lines, I get questions also. You know, why doesn't Kelvin Herrera start for the Royals when you because uh, you know, the people look well, at it and say he's got three pitches. And the reality with him is, is that. He was a starter, and he could never stay healthy as a starter. I mean, there are times where you say, okay, we've tried this for four years. It's not working this way. Let's see if this works. And boom, he's in the bull, the, you know, the big leagues in the bullpen. And you go, okay, well, that, that actually worked out in that, you, yes, you could always take that chance of, of moving a guy back to the rotation. But when you got a good reliever who has re- real issues staying healthy, you know, going more innings, well, then that makes some sense. Um, the other guy there was, is Birch Smith with the Padres, who's been outstanding for uh, for AA San Antonio this year, 1-2, 1.15 in six starts, uh, 37Ks, six walks. He's, to me, 20, number 22 prospect in the uh, Padres system coming into the year, 14th round pick of the Padres back in 2011. But there's more to that story than that. This is not like when you talk about a pop-up prospect who came out of nowhere. He pitched at Oklahoma. And we had him coming into that draft as the number 91 prospect uh, in the country, and we had him, you know, his reload reports and all coming out of college were, you know, big, strong guy with a mid-90s fastball. There was some, I, I, he signed for 250000 so there's some more of the story there, which John Manuel and I were talking about that a little bit this week, you know, okay, well, neither of us could remember necessarily, we, we did have him as one of the top guys who had gone undrafted through the top 10 rounds that year, and but we can't remember. I mean, obviously, maybe it was a question of whether he wanted to come back, you know, for uh, for his senior season or not. But you know, he did get more money than the average 14th rounder. But very good scouting job by the the Padres to nab him as a 14th rounder, and, and well worth the investment of of going up to two fifty two hundred fifty thousand for him. If you look at him now, you know his his fastball has kind of always been a, a good fastball, but it's even got a little bit better this year. I mean, there, it's kind of in, been consistently mid to high 90s this year. We did a story we ran uh, on BA.com, BaseballAmerica.com yesterday for subscribers talking about how the reality is, is that if the, if the Padres need a, another starter, Burt Smith's going to be that guy. Now, I, I think you can still say is there a little bit of concern about not the control. The control's excellent, about, but whether the, uh, the, the secondary stuff is ready yet, maybe there's a little bit of concern there. But as far as a guy who's kind of who's really improved his – his stock in, in 2013, it's hard for me to think of, of anyone who's done more than that. I, you know, I would call him right now. He's the Dan Straley of, uh, uh, of 2013. And, and definitely this is not just something where you say a guy having a good start to the season, but you kind of are a little skeptical. I'm not real skeptical on this. There is a track record here. There's a, a big frame. There's plus stuff. He was, he's been, you know, relatively durable. He had a solid season in the Cal league last year. Burt Smith's a guy who's a much better prospect now than, than maybe we thought at the start of the season. 
Yeah, I, what I like about him too, the, the secondary stuff is is a concern to me. I, I'd, I'd like to see it develop a little bit more and, and projecting that, especially, you know, on a breaking ball by the time the guy's already 23 years old is is tough for me. Um, it's not like we're talking about a 17-year-old kid anymore. I mean, he's, he's had a lot of time in his life to develop it. But the, the thing that I do like about him is uh, the combination of and pretty much everything about his fastball, <laughs> the combination of velocity, uh, the life on his fastball, the way he can, uh, you know, cut it on on in on hitters' hands, uh, but also the, his ability to command it. You know, usually a guy throw throws hard. There's a lot of life on the fastball. Uh, remember just watching the World Baseball Classic. Um, <laughs> uh, what was it? It was Duno, right? Um, yeah. Just couldn't control, and it just it's control issues too. But sometimes when you throw that hard, and the ball moves so much, it's hard to spot your fastball because <laughs> there's just so much going on with it. But I, he has a really good idea of being able to to put his fastball where he wants to, even though he has that plus at least plus velocity, maybe not plus plus, uh, and, and above average life on it too. And by the way, uh, just updating this, uh, Burch Smith is now scheduled to start on Saturday and make his major league debut against the Rays. So <laughs> he's moving very, very, very quick. Which, well, this has been a prescient podcast. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 and it is. The thing about it is, is that he is one of those guys, when we talk about the fastball, I think we both are believers that it all starts with the fastball uh, as a starter. Not that secondary stuff's not important, but the fact that he can command his fastball uh, really well for for you know minor leaguer. Again, I always throw that a, a minor leaguer's command and a major leaguer's command are two separate things. But he commands it well for a guy getting ready to start in you know hit the big leagues. And the fact that it has movement on it as well, that gives you uh, that kind of that time to kind of help refine your other stuff because that's gonna that's gonna make up for some mistakes at the big league level. But, yeah, I mean it's it's the pitch you throw. I mean in most cases, especially as a starter, it's the pitch you're going to throw the most often. So it's got to be uh, maybe not your best pitch uh, on the twenty eighty scale, but that you're right. It, it all starts with fastball and, and fastball command. If you don't believe in the fastball, you're not going to have success at the big league level. And I don't care if it's eighty five, unless you're a knuckleballer. That's about the only thing I can say is is that where you, where the fastball is not important. Then it's just okay. Then it's a changeup essentially. If you're a knuckleball, that's fine. But again, thanks, uh, thanks Ben for for all the great info, and thanks everyone for the download here uh, on the podcast. I got great response last week. We appreciate that. We enjoyed doing this podcast. Plan to give it to you every every Friday, uh, you know, through the season. So, and again, if you got questions, feel free to hit us up at Ben Badler, at JJCoop36, or you're also going to send them to at Baseball America. And we want to remind you again that DraftDay.com is a new concept that offers short-term or daily fantasy sports games for real money. The concept is simple. You pick the day you want to play and set a fantasy lineup. If your picks perform well that day, you win. You can play for free or real money, and they award cold, hard cash nightly to the top-performing players. They've already awarded over $10 million, and it's completely legal to play. DraftDay.com has, also has a new rapid-fire game that takes one minute to play with huge payouts. Just pick a few choices of players and choose the ones that will score the most points. It's that easy. All you need is three of five correct to double your money. Draft Day is offering a special offer to us, to you Baseball America listeners, so be sure to head to draftday.com and enter promo code BAPODCAST, and they'll start you off with a free instant cash bonus. It's free to try, so head to draftday.com and use promo code BAPODCAST. 
Thanks again, everyone, for the for the listen. Again, I'm JJ Cooper. He's Ben Badler. We'll see you again next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.